Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, G, U, corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. My hatred may be a little bit too strong this morning. Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Rooting for the Yankees is like enjoying Steve Ballmer's leg rubs. Oh! <laughs> oh! Ow! It's more painful than I, anything. I have a legitimate question about that. Yeah. Why did those dudes not tell him to knock it off? <laughs> one of them like, did. One of them did was he, like... like turned yeah. to him and said like, hey, or like socked him. One because... of them was obviously very uncomfortable. The other was Yeah! Not. The but other must didn't... be a regular and just know that he's a touchy-feely, handsy kind of guy. But, See, but the, I don't have yeah. any problem with that. I'm not someone who freaks out about people grabbing me or anything. But right. if someone did that, I mean, I I'm punching your hernia, just, crying out loud. Yeah, like, I pushed yeah, your hernia I, back in, Danny. I'm just going to be like, – and it's not even like I would be mad at him. I wouldn't be mad, but I would be like, if you do that, you get punched. That's just the way it works, like a good sock in the gut. So out of breath, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It's <laughs> like getting a leg rub from Steve Ballmer. Oh, oh. Absolutely it horrible. It was just like, where are your boundaries? Where are your, that? That's what my reaction would be. It would not be any sort of like, oh, I don't. Like, it was like, where's what, what your sense of boundaries? You need like, where's your sense of personal boundaries? You'd have to wear a cup if you went to a game with him. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Question one, Brock. Can you remember the last time that T-Mobile Park had the kind of atmosphere that it did Friday night, especially with the J.P. Crawford chance, mm. walk-off hit? It's been a little while. It certainly has. You know, there there was there were some years there where they flirted a little bit, even into September, if my memory serves me correctly, with a wild card spot. There there seemed to be a trip to Toronto that derailed a lot of a lot of that. But there were there was a couple Septembers with Jerry and Scott, kind of early on with Felix and some of their pieces where they were, you know, in Cano and and they were a veteran team, tried to be pieced together and. And fighting for that wild card spot, but this feels different because this is this is largely youth. These are largely yes. pieces that are going to be here for a long time. It is emergence of Yusei Kikuchi, right? It is the emergence of J.P. Crawford. There is a Hanniger and, and obviously a, a, a Seeger that have been pieces here for a long time. But this this is Logan Gilbert and the team seven and two in games he starts. Right? These are some of your young pieces. This is not a Band-aided together, veteran team. Some of it is homegrown. I know Marco has struggled, obviously, a little bit, but but he has still been your guy that you traded for, kind of built this thing up. And, and you know, youth is on the way. Jared's on the way. Cal, Cal Raleigh's on the way. Some young arms are going to be on the way. So this one, I think, just feels different because of that. Because this wasn't bought, because it's not veteran pieces that you inherited, because this is largely your roster. This is your farm system. This is your young guys, some of whom are really taking steps. JP, namely number one on that list. I think because of it, that excitement's a little bit different. Typically, we've seen the Mariners get on hot streaks and come home. And there was there was one season where there was a, an oh, unfortunate oh, sequence where oh. they, they would just come home and lay eggs in those Friday night games. Against you bad would feel, teams. Yeah. Against you would struggling feel, teams. You would feel that, and this was, it's it's probably three seasons ago. No, it might yes, even be Yes, but they had like a one and eight homestand, right? They were above 500, went on the road, and then, yes, the air totally came out of the balloon at home. And they've been... They, there's so many things where they, they've been close enough 
to being a wild card team that it's impossible to say like, oh, it's just they've just been awful. But they've kind of been worse than 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 awful because it's been this tease that's never been paid off. I, what I was most excited about Friday night was feeling that people are coming back into the stadium at the exact time that this team seems to be turning a bit of a corner, at least for this season. Mm-hmm. And that those things added up together might be the thing that gets people back inside that stadium. It's now become summer. It's July 5th. Yeah. The Yankees are in town tonight. I'm really excited to see what the environment's going to be like there at T-Mobile Park tonight. I would agree. And you avoid a June swoon. June has usually been the tougher month. This team's gotten off to some incredible starts uh, with this regime, with this management, but there's usually been a significant dip in June or into July. So, yeah, let's finish strong here. Let's beat the Yankees. Let's win these series, head into the All-Star breaks at their six, seven games above 500 and, and put Jerry and, and, and John Stanton in a maybe a little bit more difficult position, in a good position, to have to think about what they're going to do in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline. All right, question two. Josh Gordon has applied for reinstatement to the NFL. We've also been told that he gets drug tested three times a week and he has not tested positive. He's not violated that. I I find myself, Brock, rooting for Josh Gordon, the person, a great deal. I don't particularly care about whether Josh Gordon, the player, is on the Seattle Seahawks. Am I wrong about that? I agree 100%. I think you've gotten a couple different cracks at it and opportunities, and, and I think they love them. I think Russ loves them, right? I, I, and I, I, you know, that's not always been the the most important mm-hmm. thing because Antonio Brown was was one that Russell wanted as well. But uh, so it's not as if every toy that Russell's want, wanted they've gone out and, and and gotten. But when your quarterback does uh, trust you as a football player on the field when he is on the field, I think that's an important piece of it, Danny. But I'm exactly the same way. This is DK. This is Tyler. I think there still is some need there. Uh, we'll, we'll see whether the rookie can can stay healthy, Eskridge, and and do what he did not do this this unfortunately through OTAs, and that's gain further trust of quarterback and staff because of reliability and durability. That's a big thing at the receiver position. We've watched young guys we've been excited about never really get on the field and never gain that trust, and a lot of it is wow, hamstring, groin, calf, unavailable, misses a week. Someone else passes them by, never gains that trust. So, no, I think I'm right there with you. Unfortunately, Josh Gordon is immensely talented. I, I do root for him as a person. There's no question about that to, to stay sober and take that step in his life. But as far as a, a reliable, dependable asset as a football player, I'm not there. And, and therefore, if that move is not made, I don't, I don't lose any sleep over it. I'm in the same boat as you. Do you have an obligation to keep rolling the dice on somebody like this, though? Who you know when he is on the field, he's really good. I mean, we saw that fingertip catch that he had against the Carolina Panthers in his last game there, and it felt like he was rounding into form with yep. the Seahawks towards the end of 2019. I'm I'm mixed on this. But you do got to wonder in, out loud, aloud, don't you, that he stumbled a couple times here. Oh, well, no this doubt. This environment for all of the resources and all of the people and all of the energy that they spend and they equip those guys in every way in that facility with whatever they need at all times. If you need rides, if you need security, if you need help, if you need counseling, whatever it is, they, they provide that. And even in that environment and here, there's been a couple stumbling blocks. So I, I don't know if this environment is going to be the best for him to stay sober. Question number three. Here is the latest... 
from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler on Jamal Adams' contract and the return of an old friend. This is a player who got his way out of New York over his contract. The Seahawks at least know they're dealing with a hard bargainer, somebody who's willing to bet on himself. So watch out for some fireworks here. Let's stay with the DBs in Seattle, potentially Richard Sherman. I'm told that this is not off the table, that Sherman is still open to returning to the Legion of Boom or what remains of it. Uh, He makes a home on the West Coast, still has a home in Seattle. Most people think he'd like to still play on the West Coast. And so Seattle needs a cornerback help. Nothing's working right now, but maybe closer to training camp, something could shake out. Seattle needs to figure out the Adams money allocation before they take resources elsewhere. Because a guy like Sherman, you know, he's not going to take the minimum. This a high-caliber player that would need a decent contract. So we'll see what happens with Jamal Adams. But, Brock, how many ex-Seahawks do you think regret having left? Mm. And I, I, I ask this also because Everson Griffin sent a text to the Vikings play-by-play voice about how much he regrets having basically burnt all bridges and leaving Minnesota. Yeah. I think that crew, there, there's not a lot of regret in, in Earl Thomas right now or Richard. I, I don't think that that's just their worldview. I don't think that's how they, I don't think that's how they see it, especially in Richard's case when he bet on himself and he did his own contract. And he certainly, Richard, reached out to Jeremy Fowler and let him know that he's not going to be on a minimum, but he still has interest. Uh, a couple challenges, I think, there. Number one, the Seahawks have 10 corners on their roster. Some of them they like. Some of them are very young guys. It was a limited OTA season as a group, as a team. So training camp will be incredibly important, those first 10 days of it in particular, to really evaluate those 10 DBs. So I don't think that move gets made before training camp. I think that's after maybe 7 to 10 days of evaluation. See also where Richard is at. Is he willing to come in and, and give you physical and and do anything physically so you can take a look at that change of direction and that speed um, and, you know, frankly, at that point, how desperate Richard is to want to play football, to want to put another year into his retirement, to put another couple million bucks into his bank account, or if he's ready to move on. So I think there's a bunch of scenarios there still to figure out. And on top of it, when it comes to that Jamal money, once that does get figured out, I think a Dwayne Brown, I think maybe even a Quandre Diggs are going to be priorities over another veteran corner. So I think there's some meat on that bone with Fowler. I think he probably did hear from Richard Sherman. And he does know that Jamal Adams is going to get loud here. This isn't done in three weeks with the deadline before training camp. Um, there's there's going to be some, some friction and some noise and some sparks at the start of training camp in Seattle. Do you... Do you think that it's going to keep a deal from getting done? Because I don't. I, I agree. I think it's going to get hairy. And I'm not sure when it's going to get resolved. But I do think it will be resolved in August. That we, we will see him here under an extension. I don't have much doubt about that. I just think there's going to be there's going to be some fireworks before we get there. I, I think the only question I have, Danny, is the Seahawks, we know how they work here. We know how Matt Thomas operates whether it was with Bobby or with Russell, you know, guys that they, they they had so much equity. They won a world championship with in nearly a second, right? And they still, you know, treat that business negotiation in a very similar vein. So my question will be not whether or not the deal gets done, because ultimately Jamal is going to want his money and his huge guaranteed money. But if and when that deal gets done and it's not to Jamal's liking and all of his, you know, noise that, he will try to make maybe with one final 4th of July, you know, barrage uh, at this fireworks show that I watched, right? You know, at the very end, like, I'm going to just go swing loud one more time. And it's like, yeah, the deal is the deal. 
Uh, will he come in, Danny, and be content and satisfied? Or will he come in, can be Earl Thomas, regretful, you're screwing me, can't believe you're hosing me this way? So if a deal gets done, I think we all agree it will because there's too much money on the line for Jamal not to take with guarantees. But will it be enough to make him satisfied and content and happy? Am I wrong if I say I don't care? Well, you can say you don't care. Do you not think that that affects an emotional player like a Jamal Adams? I I I don't know, man. If he, if he signs the contract, does it matter? R- R- Marshawn was not happy with his contract in 2013 nor 2014. Uh, and what happened to that relationship? Eventually, it went, but that was when he was no longer a great player, right? Well, it deteriorated pretty quickly. That's true. He what doesn't get on with the Earl, bus. What yeah, happened with Earl right. Thomas? You know, uh, it was all roses for a long time. And kind of what happened with him when he started to sour about money and thinks you guys are screwing me and you're getting me on the cheap and you're taking advantage of me and you're leveraging the NFL system and you're leveraging the collusion that is the NFL, right? I'm I'm just saying, you know how emotional players work I agree with you. I guess here's what I – Pete lets guys have a lot of latitude when it comes to saying what they think and what they feel. The result of that is that when contracts come up and when they are not getting something that they want, they're going to be louder than normal NFL players. And you just have to have a stiff upper lip about it and just take it. And say like, okay, be as loud as you want. This is this is, this is still what it's going to be. Correct. Like, we'll, we we won't crack down and compl- you're going to be unhappy, but you're still going to take it. He's an emotional player who I, feeds off of his emotion, right? That makes him go. He got so emotional and so upset with New York and the dysfunction there. As Fowler said, he worked his way out of there. He's got a lot of voices in his ears, mm-hmm. family members and others that think you know, and he's got a supporter in Mike Salk. Who thinks this is a ridiculousness? You know the structure of the NFL and how they negotiate these things by position is totally unfair, uh, borderline illegal, shouldn't happen, yada yada yada. Uh, but it is the system with which you know you play in. So you get that player. Ultimately, I think we do agree, right? The three of us, a deal will get done. Yeah. Yep. But if he's not happy about it, does it matter? I think his unhappiness has been unfairly portrayed since his time in New York. That team is a joke. They always have been. He wanted out because he thought that they were actually going to try to win, and then all of a sudden they said, yeah, we're pressing the reset button again. So I I understand that there is some, I think, waiting and maybe some nervous waiting to see if he's going to handle this the same way. I guess I just don't see him handling it the same way because I actually think think he respects this organization, unlike that toilet paper roll. Paul, Paul is Paul is taking the the he's taking the very optimistic, sunshiny approach that everybody's going to I mean, be able Paul to get is, along. Yeah, I mean, if we all know Paul, he is sunshine and, and happiness and optimism. Joy, I am taking yes. I am taking the draconian. <laughs> I've I've become the management honk here. The person who doesn't like the bosses says, "I don't care how my player feels as long as he signs his name on the dotted line. That's all that matters." And Brock, Brock, your position would be. Be careful because this might actually have some long-term ramifications with your relationship with this player. Is that am I correctly summarizing? I think it? that that is all very fair. I think when it comes to relationship, when it comes to that connection, you're right. Pete plays the good cop, and yep. and he will corral them emotionally, and and you know he he is. But when you've got a very emotional player like that, that feels like he is very worthy of certain you know amounts of millions of dollars, and I think the Seahawks will hold fast and and have every right to do so. And I think have a little bit more leverage because is Jamal going to hold out? Do you want to then play that card? Or do you want your guaranteed tens of millions of dollars? So, yeah, this will be uh, – 
this will be fascinating. This will be a theme until it all gets resolved here in the next three plus weeks. Brock, thank you very much. I now turn you over. Have you already talked to Salk about his uh, about his his attempt to redefine salary structure in the NFL and, and change positional value, or you got that on deck now? No, I have him talking to John Clayton every day about that. So <laughs> there you go. All right, Brock. We will talk to you very soon. All right, Thursday. Talk to you. That is Brock Heward with Blue Forty Two.